0: great time of worship today and i'm thankful to be here and i'm thankful that you are here i want to acknowledge those who have served on our steering team through this time of uh, being out so much because of covid i'm very thankful for the way that they've served faithfully and met every time we've asked them to meet and uh, i'm very i want to acknowledge them uh Dale Rayburn, who is one of our deacons and also is in administration at at Baptist South. Dale, would you stand? He has been on our team and remains standing, if you would. Dr. Harold Cox, who is well known as one of our physicians, and uh, he's been on the team and, and has also been very instrumental and helpful. Dr. Bruce Kent, I don't see Dr. Kent here. Uh, he's been every other Sunday, and I'd call him out today. But he's also served on this leadership team to help us to know what to do and when to do it, and we're thankful for them. And then also, Keith Hibbs, who has recently retired with the Alabama Baptist Convention, and he has served and plays the piano for us, and it's, he's also my son in law. Uh, He's almost as old as me, but he's uh, <laughs> my son-in- law. But Keith, thank you for your expertise and and uh, Robin Crow. I don't see Robin here today. Is she up in the balcony? No. But Robin has been very instrumental. She works at our associational office and and has a lot of information that's available to her that comes from uh, the CDC and other sources and from other churches. And we're thankful for her help and leadership there and then our entire uh, ministerial staff and, uh, and Marlene. If any of them are here, would you please stand? You better be here. There you are. <laughs> yes, and of course, Stephanie out there. Thank y'all for all of your work and advice. And you, you may not know the number of hours they have met. It has been over and over again that we have sought to do the right thing, and they have been very, very helpful. I want to say especially the three medical folks, Dr. Kent, Dr. Cox, and Dale Rayburn, have been very helpful and instrumental in helping us understand what's been going on. And uh, thank you. It's been a good time, uh, but I'm looking forward to the days ahead, aren't you? I want to talk to you a little bit about being aware of grace robbers. Every once in a while, we'll see a story in the move uh, in the uh, on the news of of being there being a grave robber, and in yesteryear that was more prevalent than it is today because it used to be rather customary that whatever jewelry, diamond rings, whatever that someone had uh, that they had worn like a an engagement ring and wedding band, that kind of thing, that they would be buried with those things on them, and people would find out about that. And there were a lot of grave robbers that would go around. That's so morbid, isn't it? It's so awful and disrespectful, and and all of that. But it would happen. It doesn't happen so very often anymore. But I want to talk about grace robbers, those teachings that would rob us from walking in the truth of God's grace, his mercy, and his love. Of course, grace is more valuable than silver or gold. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was in prison when he heard some false teachers were hurting the church and going around and telling them that they had to add something to the Christian doctrine, and that was to incorporate The teachings of the Old Testament and abiding by the laws that were given to the Jews and they had to do all of those things and make all of those offerings and and remember not to eat this and not to eat that and that kind of thing and Paul understood that it was interfering with the growth of the Christians in the local churches and especially the church at Colossae and as he as writing concerning the, the destruction of the Gnostics and, and, and their teachings, he also remembered those that were teaching legalism, that you got to do something. you got to continue in doing the things of the Old Testament. you got to incorporate those things in your times of meeting, your times of worship. And he talks to them about these that would rob you from understanding the grace of God. I want you to turn, if you would, in Colossians chapter 2. And those of you that have been on Wednesday night, I've been teaching through the book of Colossians, but I skipped this part. And even though we talked about the second chapter, I want to talk to you today and and bring this out about this thing of grace. In chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, the apostle Paul says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of ordinance or requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross or to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. Paul also calls them They are a schoolmaster. The law is a schoolmaster to help us understand better the grace of God working in our lives. He says, there are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows, and with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, Do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians two thirteen through 23, New King James Version. What was nailed to the cross of Christ? He says he has taken those things out of the way, having nailed them to his cross. In addition to our sin and our shame, in addition to the power that Satan had over mankind, he has taken that out of the way, God also nailed all the Old Testament regulations to the cross. That means we have been delivered from the observance of hundreds of trivial Old Testament regulations we read in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Remember, the moral law of God is still in effect. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. These things, the moral law of God has not changed whatsoever. But the ceremonial laws of God have been fulfilled once and for all through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although there are those who insist we should still obey these obscure rules and re- uh, regulations, today most legalists, or I call them grace robbers, are those who have substituted a whole new set of rules different from what Paul was dealing with. Legalism is an attitude that I can establish and improve my standing with the Holy God through my actions and my lack of activities that I once was involved in. I can increase and improve my standing before God by my activities day in and day out. It is not necessarily an act It's an attitude. If you think this morning there is anything you can do to either establish a relationship with the Holy God or to improve that relationship, you have fallen into the trap of legalism. In this passage, we're introduced introduced to three types of legalism. Three different types of grace robbers that so many believers fall into the grasp of and they miss the joy of living and walking in their salvation. God has saved you in order that you may have freedom that you may have life, that you may have joy, you may have peace. It's my peace, Jesus said, I give to you. God has saved you that you can live and walk every day knowing that your sins are blotted out, you are forgiven, you have been birthed through what Jesus has done on the cross and by the work of the Holy Spirit. You have been birthed into the family of God. You are born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, You have been born of the Spirit of God. You're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You are a saved individual. And you're to walk knowing that it was all paid for, taken care of by what Jesus did on the cross. And you cannot add one thing to it to add to God's grace and His mercy and His love. The first thing that... Legalism teaches is you got to do this or that to be saved. There is something that you can do in order to be saved. For salvation, it comes out like this. God does his part and I do my part. It's legitimate to ask. What must I do to be saved? Matter of fact, the jailer, when Paul was in, yes, was locked up. And they were preaching and singing in the middle of the night. It wasn't Paul, it was Peter. it? It was locked up. And they were preaching and singing in the night. And as Paul and Silas were exercising their freedoms in Christ, the jailer came and said, What must I do to be saved? They didn't say to him, oh, don't ask that question. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't don't ask that. It's not a matter of that. No, they gladly answered him, if I will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will confess him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And that jailer and his entire household received Christ, and they were gloriously saved They didn't have to agree to some strict guidelines. They didn't have to say, I'm going to keep all of these Old Testament teachings and laws. They just believed by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were saved. Believing is not doing. Believing is trusting. If you'll trust in the finished work of Jesus. If you'll trust in Him as Lord and Savior, God has already done, He done did everything that needs to be done. He has already finished every requirement. He did that by the sending of His Son. He did that by the purity of the life of his son who was without sin, without blemish, who never wavered one bit from the father's will. Matter of fact, he says, when you see me work, the father's working. When you hear me talk, the father is talking. The father and I are one. Matter of fact, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. And when he finished the work he came to do, he finished salvation's wondrous plan, no wonder he cried on the cross. It is finished. Testelestai. It is finished. It is done. It is over with. And he cried that out for all of us. These are opposing views of salvation. God has already done everything. But there are some who says you got to do there are folks who are D.O. folks, you know. You got to do this to be saved. And the right way is, is the done, folks. God's already done it all. You don't have to do. You just believe in what he's already finished. The Bible says he is the propitiation, that is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and ought only for ours but for the sins of the whole world, according to 1 John 2, 2. He is the perpetuation. He is the sacrifice for our sins. If you think that God has already done 99.99% and that you've got to do the 0.01%, then you fall into the category of believing legalism and trying to do something to please God for your salvation, for his approval, for your acceptance. The Bible teaches that there are two kinds of righteousness. The righteousness that we try to establish of ourselves, and the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of, of a holy God, Isaiah 64, 64, 6. Their other kind of righteousness is the righteousness God gives us as a gift. It's called imputed to us. He gives us as a gift when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Second Corinthians five twenty one. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not that we can become it. Not that we can work to accomplish that. Not that we can change anything. But we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might be made through his work. The righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus. Paul's heart was breaking for his brothers as what they were facing as Jews who had been saved because they were still trying to do something to be right with God. He wrote, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves Under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone that believes according to what Paul writes in Romans 10, verses 2 through 4. Do you know or you want to know what our part is in salvation? Watch this book. I thought I had one up here. Here it is. Watch this book. Now, I'm going to drop it. You watch what it does. What did that book do to drop? Nothing. Gravity did every bit of it, didn't it? The book just submitted to what gravity did all the work for. And that's the way it is in Christ Jesus. We don't do anything to merit God's grace. We don't do anything to merit God's forgiveness. We can't turn over another leaf and turn over 1,250 leaves. And still, we cannot be right with God. Every time we turn over a leaf, we tarnish that leaf every time we try to change everything about our lives we tarnish the next day we keep finding ourselves unable to live up to the requirements to the laws of god it's not a matter of doing it's a matter of trusting it's a matter of giving ourselves to him and he does all the doing that he can listen to what john uh, jesus even says in John chapter 6 this, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't even decide you're going to get saved. You can't even say, this is the day I know I'm going, I'm going to get saved today. I'm, I'm just going to do that today. You cannot do that. Except the Holy Spirit of God speaks to a person's heart, the Holy Spirit of God draws them, convicts them of their sin, and of God's wonderful righteousness, holiness, and purity, and that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, there is no other way of forgiveness than through the finished work of Jesus, and we cannot add one bit to it. The old songwriter was right. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come. We simply trust in the finished work of Jesus. In John chapter 3, we read about a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus one night, the original Nick at night. He was uh, one extremely religious man. That went right over some of them. I'm I, told my age then too, didn't I? Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus compared salvation to being born. Now, let me tell you, what did you do to get born? October 31st, 1948. You should have been there. I'm telling you, I did my part and my mother did her part. Yeah, that is laughable, isn't it? I knew nothing. My mother did everything. I didn't do my part. And let me tell you, when I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I didn't do anything to get there. He did the convicting. He had already provided the way through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. He sent the Holy Spirit to work in my heart. He convicted me of my lostness, my sinfulness, my need of forgiveness. He convicted me that Jesus was indeed the Son of God who came to this earth. birth virgin-born, and went to the cross for my sins, that he arose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and that in his resurrection he conquered death for me, and by putting my faith in him and trusting him, not doing anything, but just trusted in what he's already done, I became a child of God. You can't do anything. Jesus told Nicodemus, The work of the Holy Spirit is like the wind blowing. So why don't you just go outside and let the wind blow in your face for a minute. And then you can say, yep, God did his part and I did mine. The wind blows. We just experience the truth Of it's blowing. God. Sends the wind. And we have an experience. With the wind. So it was. When the Holy Spirit of God. Spoke to your heart. Convicted you. Of your need of forgiveness. Convicted you. Of the life. That Jesus had lived. And died and rose again. And convicted you that that was the truth that you could trust and that you needed Jesus to give you forgiveness and everlasting part. You see, God made it where we can't even take a little bit, a tiny bit of credit. We can't boast of anything. It's all of God and none of our, us. I used to listen to J. Vernon McGee on the radio. Uh, Some of you kids would say, radio, what's that? But I used to listen to J. Vernon McGee on the radio when I was driving around. I don't even turn on the radio anymore. I I just don't even, mine has no volume control, so it wouldn't do me good to turn it on anyway. But he talks about one time I was listening to a, a country boy down south That sort of speaks to us, doesn't it, who wanted to join the church. But in this church, they had a rule that anybody that wanted to join the church had to be examined by the deacons. (laughs) They asked him, how did you get saved? His answer was, God did his part, and I did my part. You can see that group of elderly men sitting there going, hmm. They said, you want to explain that to us? What was God's part? What was your part? He said, well, God's part was doing the saving. My part was doing the sinning. That's pretty good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one without you it, it, of you is without sin. We've done our part. We all sin and cannot do anything about our guilt. But God does his part. That he saves all who will trust in what Jesus. Has done for us. The second thing that legalism. Would teach you is you have to have the. Same feeling that somebody else had. In order to be saved. Everyone's spiritual experience. Must be identical. Well, I'm going to tell you through the years. I've heard a lot of Christian testimonies. Matter of fact. We have some men that will be questioned by our deacons this Wednesday night that have been nominated to serve as active deacons. And usually the very first question that they're asked, would you give us, please, your Christian testimony? Tell us about when you were saved and the, the experience of that. And they will tell it. Some of them go through, and I'm not suggesting either one is right or wrong, but some of them will go all the way through who, who talked to them and how they were under conviction and how their life was and so forth, and they'll talk about that experience. Others will say, you know, I was brought up in the church, I, I knew the truth, and one day the Holy Spirit of God convicted me that it was time for me to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was to be saved. And I, I've just given a short version, but they'll share that. Everyone's experience differs. It would be naturally so because we're saved at different ages. And the experience of bringing a... 12-year-old to Christ as when I was saved could be very different than God bringing a 40-year-old man to Christ after a life of rebellion, a life of sinning, a life of guilt. You see, the testimony is different. But the truth of the matter is God does it all. He said unless the Holy Spirit draw you you cannot be saved. And it's all God's doing but he he delights. He delights in infinite variety and surprise. Some folks will talk about it and talk about a second blessing they got in their experience. Well I've had a second hundred thousandth blessing he just keeps blessing every day every every week every month every year of my life god just keeps blessing the truth is god delights in infinite variety god could have created us so that we all looked exactly alike but he didn't he made us so different that the pattern of the skins on our thumb is different on every person and all the billions of folks in the world. No two snowflakes are ever identical. No two sun, sunsets are the same. The Bible says this about God. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. Even gives us differently. The word said that he gives some, gives some to be evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and etc. We're not all supposed to do the same things and have the same experience that we have to line up. Did yours go one, two, three like mine? It better have, or you're not saved. We don't even have to face that. We are made. And gifted differently. And so is our salvation experience to the glory of God. For instance, there's only one burning bush experience in all of the history of mankind where God spoke out of a burning bush. And that was to Moses. There's only been one time of a miraculous crossing of the River Jordan. And God did that for Joshua in his leadership. There's only been one Damascus Road experience. And that was the Apostle Paul as as Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him. And he fell though he was dead and was blinded. And there's only been one Apostle Paul experience how he was saved. And if we were to go through this room and you were to give the experience one after another, they would all be different. There may be some similar. Several could say I was saved after a week of vacation Bible school. Some could say I was saved on Friday night of the revival when we used to go a whole week. Some could say I was in the workplace and a co-worker told me about Jesus. Some could say my daddy came and sat down and told me about what Jesus had done for me. Somebody else could say a friend I was out fishing with. I started talking about some different things and he says, "Let me tell you what the Fisher of men had to say." And he led me to faith in Christ. All of our experiences of differently, but let me t- are different, but let me tell you the work of God is the same. He changes us from being dead to making us alive. He changes us to being in trespasses and sin and he moves us into his righteousness, not our own, but his righteousness. The salvation is all of God, though the experiences may be differently. Different. And number three, you gotta keep all the rules. These are in verses twenty through twenty-three. The last part addresses the grace robber of keeping rules. Many Christians embrace the idea of grace for salvation, but then they fall into the trap of thinking that after they become a Christian, there are some things left to do in keeping their salvation in effect legalism, if I obey God, I will earn more of his love. And matter of fact, some of you can remember how we used to do our Sunday school attendance. Everyone brought their offering envelope to Sunday school. You remember that? And it had a six-point grading system on the front of that envelope. You could mark, I'm present. Well, that was sort of ludicrous, but you were here, so you got credit for being present. And we used to keep boards in the sanctuaries. You remember that? You can go to some rural churches today, and they still have those boards over there, but they don't cover that because nobody does the six-point checklist anymore. But I I was here. I was on time. Boy, most Baptists would fail that, wouldn't they? I was on time. I read my Bible every day. Maybe we're beginning to learn why we don't do that anymore. I witnessed to these many people this week and asked them to come to church with me. I'm giving my tithe and offerings. But to make sure we keep Baptists honest, you had to put the amount of that tithe and offering on the outside of that envelope. We had that grading system. And I'm telling you, though we never meant it that way, it developed a culture of I'm working to please God. God. I'm working to make sure everything's right between him and me. God did his part, now I'm doing my part. And we sort of brought along that culture in the Baptist church. and, And that went out the window years ago, and I'm thankful for that. Cause it's not about reporting on a report card or on a, some kind of registry that I've been a real good boy this week, so God's happy with me, and I, I'm here at church, and he's delighted with me. I read my Bible. I talked to so I'm giving. I've been on time, all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what. God said, if you love me, do the things I've told you to do anyway. It's about loving him. Trusting him and not trying to obey him to receive more of his love. When you perform, you feel good about yourself. And when you don't perform, you feel badly about yourself. And you're certain at that point, That God is not happy with you. Let me tell you the truth of what the scripture teaches. We obey God because we love him. We obey God because we're thankful that he did all the saving and we did all the sinning. We obey God because we're overwhelmed that a holy, wonderful God would care enough about me to send his son to the cross to die for me on the cross. And His Holy Spirit convicted me that I was a sinner and in need of His forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit led me into faith in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I prayed to receive Him. And He's changed my heart. And He's changed my life. And I'm serving Him because I love Him. Because I love Him, not because I'm trying to gain His favor and His blessing. Now, if you think grace means there are no rules, <laughs> you've missed the point. And if you think grace means you can sin all you want to, you've turned it into cheap grace. When you understand grace, you understand it that you want to obey God because Of His grace. You see, the difference between legalism and grace is in the motive behind your obedience. If you obey God with a belief it will improve your standing with God, or that He will love you less if you don't, then you're sliding into the gloom of legalism. But if you obey God because you love Him, And because you know you are deeply loved, then you're basking in the warmth and the glow and the blessings and the light of His grace. The Bible emphasizes over and over again that our relationship with God is not based on what we do, but on who He is. Holy God. Loving us. Let me ask you a question. You ask it. How does God feel about me today? What's your answer? I'm not asking you how you feel about God. I'm asking you, how do you think God feels about you today? Today? There's only one correct answer. He is in love with me. He loves me. That love never changes. He's perfect. His love is not diminished by our actions or lack thereof. His love is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So you don't know how God feels towards you today with all of the mistakes of your past week you want to know how god feels towards you today regarding how you fuss with your mate or or you've disobeyed your parents i'll tell you what He is in love with you. He loves you, and it's not diminished. It has not grown any smaller. He has the biggest love for you, the greatest love for you that he's ever had. When he died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died in love with you, and he has not quit loving you since. He loves you. Did you come today because you were afraid? If you didn't, God wouldn't love you quite as much. That's legalism. The truth is, God would still love you every bit as much right now if you had chosen to stay home. Boy, that's a blessing to you folks at home, isn't it? For grace says God love for us was even while we were yet sinners. Wow. If that were not true, then we would be in control of when God can love us, and we would be in control on how much he could love us. And we would be in control of God's love and the experience of his love. But we're not in control of that. Why? God is love. He defines himself as love. And his love is never diminished. It never changes. It never varies. You can know that when you're in the middle of something you ought not to be doing. When you're in the middle of praise and worship. Either one of those times, God loves you the same. His love is shown toward us. The same way every day, every moment, every second of our lives. His love is always the same. It's unchanging, it's unending, it is unlimited. You say, well, how can you say all that, preacher? Listen to me real closely. Because his love is always, 100% of the time, unmerited. Wow. If you believe in the unmerited love and favor and grace of God, why would you think that your actions and your response to him would change? unmerited. You can't do more and get him to love you more. And if you do less, he won't love you less. Legalism is the attitude that I can establish or improve my standing before God by my activities. That Thought is a malicious grace robbery. It's all about His grace. You see, Jesus was and is the fullness of God's grace. And when we allow Jesus to fill us, then we're filled with God's grace. Don't let anyone Don't let anything rob you of the blessing of walking in God's amazing grace. Every day, every day, every hour. Back in the 60s, there was a song that was often sang in churches, And I don't remember all the words, but I'll remember the last phrase. He'll always say, I forgive. Always. Legalism says you must perform. You must cross your T's, dot your I's, do without this, always do this in order to be. God's grace and love. Grace says, I love you unconditionally. Even though it's unmerited, I love you. That's grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time to be in worship today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I don't know of anybody among us that would be teaching differently from what the Bible has taught us today, but Lord, we teach ourselves differently. We let Satan teach us differently. We we respond according to what we've done instead of being reminded of what you've done. Help us to walk in the truth of your amazing grace. Help us to walk in the truth of your unbelievable love and your never-ending care. Lord, may those truths arrest our attention. And may your love motivate us to live in a way that's pleasing to you because we love you. Have your way the glory of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.